0: you listening to To The Spirit Podcast. Hi, friends, and welcome to The Spirit. I'm Beck. And I'm Steph. Hi, Steph. Hi, Becky. How are you doing today? Well, I think we're both pretty tired. We're exhausted, <laughs> but we push forward for our listeners.
1: I'm trying to push forward, but it feels very
0: slow. <laughs> Maybe you need a cup of coffee.
1: I've had four. It doesn't make a difference when you feel like you haven't had enough sleep. Maybe you need an energy drink. I've never had those. I've always been kind of nervous about them like I was going to get heart palpitations
0: or something. I've had those and those aren't good. What about five-hour energy shots? I've never had those.
1: (laughs) I've never had them either. They always seem like they probably taste pretty bad. I don't know.
0: Next episode, I'll hit us off with a five-hour energy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should take it a few hours before podcasting. To make sure it's kicked in.
0: Right, because we don't need you running around here like you're on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> what is today's topic about?
1: Today's topic is about missing persons. It's more specific because this is there's a lot of mystery behind this. These are strange disappearances, things that are unexplainable. And uh, there's a lot of missing people out there. And unfortunately, the major national parks that we have happens a lot there. Yeah. And they don't like to talk about it because that probably ruined their tourism or something. Mm -hmm. But it's a weird phenomenon. It's happened forever. You can find stories going back centuries and you can hear these type of stories.
0: They all seem very similar. We should definitely credit David Polites because he has done extensive research. Actually, he's kind of cornered the market yeah, and he's, missing 411.
1: He's the best person to listen to and read all the work that he's done in compiling this. He's the only person that's really paid any attention to
0: it. Yeah, watch those documentaries, listen to his radio shows. I think he even has a podcast.
1: He's really trying to even, I think, solve cases. He's a former police officer, I think.
0: Yeah, he is. Yep. Some of what we're going to talk about today comes from him. So... Yes. Just want to give credit where credit's due. I think we should start off with the profile points. So these come from David. He talks about point of separation, and this is when victims leave others. I just have to say that when you actually start looking into these missing 411s and these strange disappearances, it starts freaking you out. Like you you seriously start really considering having a hiking partner. You don't want to ever go into national forests anymore. You just want to stay far away. We're going to the Catskills in the summer, and I'm just like not. Yeah, we're hiking. gonna
1: we're gonna wear a line that connects all of us. You know, <laughs> like we're gonna tether ourselves together if we go for like a walk. mountain
0: climbers. And <laughs> if we feel the tuck, hey, you never know because some of these stories are so strange that you never know how the disappearances are happening. Obviously, so we have points of separation. That's when victims leave others. We have time of disappearance. This is the most common time of missing and it's usually mid-afternoon to late hours when people go missing. We have the strange thing with boulder fields. Granite boulders or rock fields, victims are found to disappear from these areas. Near water, very common to disappear near water. Weather events, that's strange. I mean, this appears to be a weather incident in close proximity to the time the victim disappears or when the search starts. So that ranges from dust storms to full-blown blizzards usually people with disabilities or illnesses, oftentimes obvious or subliminal illness. Canines can't track. They're bringing in tracking dogs, bloodhounds, and they can't pick up a scent. That's a common profile in 95% of the case documented. How can that be that 95% of these cases that they can't catch a scent?
1: That's- I know these dogs are trained, but if it was my beagle, I'd give them the scent. And then he'd start going crazy looking for it, and then he'd find a chicken wing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or a hot dog that got thrown on the side. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> found an area previously searched. So usually the bodies are found in an area that have been searched dozens of times, or not only just the bodies, clothing and items associated with that person that went missing. So again, now we come into missing clothes, clothes, shoes removed, clothing or footwear. Even when hypothermia has been ruled out, when they do find the bodies, they find them in strange areas, strange positions, and there's no hypothermia when the coroner does their autopsy. Wow. Unknown cause of death. The coroners cannot determine a cause of death if the victim has been found. And geographical clustering. This is an area between three and 70 people in each cluster that go missing. And this is all around the world. But primarily, it looks like the biggest clusters are in the Pacific Northwest.
1: Yep. And that's where all the Bigfoot, biggest Bigfoot claims, I think, are out there, too.
0: Right. Which they think might tie into this. I don't it's know. It's scary. I, I don't know. Can you
1: imagine being thrown over a shoulder of a Bigfoot? and t- <laughs> <just> run, <laughs> Picks you up, throw, throws you over a shoulder, and then he's running through the woods, and then but he te- tears you apart like you're... Uh, yeah, but don't you think they'd find
0: like hair tufts and stuff, I would be ripping his hair out as he's running through just the leave wilderness. A, leave a trail yeah, of tufts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bigfoot hair, just follow the Bigfoot hair. <laughs> People, they disappear. They're found in the middle of berry bushes. And this is from David Polites. And he says, they go missing while picking berries and some are found while eating berries. The connection between some disappearances and berries cannot be denied.
1: Life is already full of anxiety as it is and this literally adds when i think about (laughs) any of it it literally feels like uh i can't breathe
0: yeah just the thought of this stuff listen when life gives you lemons take them and don't go pick berries (laughs) you know the thing that freaks me out stuff is some of these stories involve well actually a lot of these stories involve disembodied human feet and many of them are still in their shoes They wash up on the shores of Washington State and British Columbia with alarming regularity. Some come in pairs and some don't. There's even been stories where they find the shoes of the victim. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We're going to say victim because I just don't think these people are this many people are just wandering around off and just missing like this. So they find the shoes of the victim and then inside the shoes are the pants that have dropped down into the shoes. Almost as if they were pulled straight up and their clothes just dropped right off them wow which would be kind of a alien? Yeah. yeah. To me, that's the only thing that makes sense to me in this. Bigfoot or aliens, interdimensional, maybe there's been a contract with the ETs and Nixon. <laughs> and he said you guys can come and take the people from the national forests and do whatever you want with them as long as you don't do it in the major cities. <laughs> The National Park System encompasses 423 national park sites in the United States, and they span across more than 84 million acres. That's a lot, That's a lot. It's a, a lot of parks. Mm-hmm. Some of the parks, Yosemite, mm-hmm. National Park, okay, Santa Fe National Forest, Sonora, California, Don Al Vista. You know, the park services, like you had said, they conceal the true data on how and where the people disappear and how many have actually been found because it would, quote, shock the public so badly that visitors' numbers would fall off a cliff. Because of this, they're not releasing this.
1: No, they don't. They don't want it known. I feel bad for the the families. I mean, it's you think that the families would really be putting the information out there to expose, you know, the victim families, you know. hmm But uh, you don't really hear much at all. You don't. You hear that someone's missing. And it seems that if it's a high profile, if it gets real popular, like Natalie Holloway, they definitely spent years talking about her. I but don't know
0: anything about Natalie Holloway.
1: She H- was the one missing in in Aruba. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, they sus- suspected that Joran Vandersloot did it. Mm-hmm and he's in jail for murdering another person right now. She got a lot of attention, and that went on for years. You know, she was missing, and they never found her body. But they're pretty sure she was murdered, and they're pretty sure it was probably him. They've never been able to really prove that. So you see, there are certain cases they get a lot of attention. There's a lot of missing persons in inner cities. You know, when you think of minority people, black people, Hispanics, there's a lot of missing people, even in inner cities. They get no attention. no whatsoever well that's
0: i think that's going to be more sex trafficking yes yeah i think when you're getting out into the wilderness
1: yes that's a different type of missing yeah, yeah we're
0: talking maybe more of a paranormal missing now the stats from 2018 the experts believe about 1600 individuals mysteriously vanish each year visiting parks throughout the united states while many reported missing are found it is estimated hundreds remain missing and that was in 2018. So I don't know, you know, we're in lockdown. I don't, obviously, those are going down, those numbers. Yeah. Let's go a little off topic, but still on topic. Did you know that Sri Lanka has one of the world's highest number of disappearances with between 60,000 and 100,000 people vanishing since the late 1980s?
1: I read that when I was researching this, and that was a, a, a new thing for me to know. And I was like, holy cow.
0: Those disappearances seem to be coming more politically charged and motivated or hmm. armed opposition groups that are coming in and doing that. But that's a that's a big stat.
1: Do you remember growing up and having the milk carton kids? Yeah. They don't do that anymore. You can go to Walmart and see them on the wall. Do you ever see them on the wall? They have no. like a poster. I've seen them, not in every Walmart maybe, but the one out where I live definitely has it. And you'll have about 20 kids up there. And uh, I was surprised. I'm like, what happened to all the milk carton kids? I'm like, were any of them solved? Because did anyone really pay attention? You look at it, you're going to school, and and you're a little kid, you're drinking the quart of milk, and looking at some kid got kidnapped. And it's kind of a frightening combo of like eating your lunch, or you're a little kid
0: <laughs> at school. And, I never saw him on the quart. I only saw him on the half gallon.
1: Oh, on the half gallons? Yeah. <laughs> back to
0: life.
1: Back to reality. <laughs> In February 1977, a 24-year-old man named Stephen Kubacki was cross-country skiing through the snow near Lake Michigan. Once he reached the edge of the lake, he took off his skis to sit down and rest. When he got up to leave, his own tracks were gone, and he became lost. The last thing he remembers was walking through the snow, feeling numb and exhausted. He blacked out. In the blink of an eye, it was spring. Whoa. He was lying in a grassy field in the middle of a forest, wearing clothes that weren't his. Sitting next to him were a stranger's backpack containing running shoes and glasses that did not belong to him either. He hiked to the nearest town and asked a local resident where he was. They told him he was in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, 700 miles away from where he had been skiing. Wow! His aunt and father lived in Pittsfield, so he knocked on his aunt's door His family was in shock, hugging him and asking where he had been. Kubaki had been missing for 14 months. That is crazy. When Kubaki had first gone missing, the search team found his poles and skis at the edge of the lake. There was only one set of his footprints leading toward the water, but none walking away. They could only assume he drowned himself in the freezing lake. He had been missing for so long, everyone assumed he must be dead. The official explanation is that he had amnesia. But it's weird because there's no prints of him
0: walking away. No, that's really amnesia. You couldn't survive like that with no shoes on. Yeah. And they said that the other explanation, he was wandering in a fog state. So there's a guy skiing across in snow. Mm -hmm. At some point, he leaves the skis and the boots behind, which means he's in socks or barefoot. Yeah. Walking to the lake where the footprints stop. No footprints that lead out. Yep. They assumed he drowned himself. Fourteen months later, right, he wakes up 700, 700 miles, miles across the country, and he's in fine condition. He's okay. He's healthy condition, you know? Yeah. Uh, he's in different clothing. He's got a backpack next to him. What logically could that be? The
1: only thing you can think of, I mean, obviously, you know, because of we have, we talk about the alien. Thing, yeah. Because he got maybe sucked up into the Maybe... Yeah. The aliens had clothes and shoes from other people. They kidnapped. Right. That's I'm like, what oh, I'm we're saying. Gonna <laughs> this has to this be.
0: You, you'd have to be crazy to not think that's alien.
1: Yeah, especially especially not having any memories of anything. I'd want to do a regressive therapy, yeah. you know, type of therapy to see if you you could pull out any memories. Like, how can your mind just shut down
0: for 14 months? It, it just can't. Sorry. And he would have some serious uh, hypothermia, or his feet would be frostbitten.
1: Yeah, I, no, none of this makes sense. Their explanation is not good enough for me. For, for more for his, to the story? Just Go that after this, he, he earned a degree in linguistics before he went missing, but he was so fascinated by his own case that, that he went on to earn his Ph.D. in psychology. He wanted answers about his own disappearance, and yet he still couldn't find them. Wow. But that's an, a case where the person is found. A lot of these people are are not found, but when they are found, it's very unusual too.
0: In January 2019, that's not long ago, a three-year-old boy named Casey Hathaway disappeared near his great-grandmother's home in rural North Carolina. Temperatures dropped below freezing and rain blew sideways. Three days later, the boy was found alive, entangled in briars a quarter of a mile from where he went missing. How does a child travel 4,000 feet in elevation in his bare feet in two days? A three-year-old. Yeah. They're getting picked up. they got to be getting picked up by something. By something, yeah. But the question is the ones that don't come back or the ones that do come back and the bodies are found. Yeah. And strange. You know, some are dead. Mm -hmm. Some are alive. Very few seem to be alive. Mm -hmm. I have a story from a Redditor that I found. Her name is Marcy Stalling. She wrote this, and I thought it was interesting. She says, I'm quite familiar with David Pallades and his work regarding missing people. It is mind-boggling once you get into it, and the whole Missing 411 experience has happened in my life. I have written about my brother's mysterious disappearance from Mesa Verde National Park, Colorado on June 9, 2013. Honestly, that is all there is to tell. He went on a hike and never returned. Massive search ensued to no avail. No sign of him has ever been found. The only thing to indicate that he was even in the area is a single ping from his cell phone. It lasted a second. It was suspected that he had fallen or dropped the phone, causing it to turn on for a brief moment. But no call was made from that phone. David Polites had come into the scene and went over every detail with a fine-tooth comb, and that is how Mitchell Dale Stalling became a statistic in Mr. Polites' book, The Devils in the Details. I myself had had several experiences when I was in the wilderness alone and got a terrible feeling of doom. It was indescribable. And the first time it happened to me, I was only 11 years old. I was playing in the piney woods behind our home when suddenly I realized that all the sounds of birds and insects had stopped. All I could hear was the wind in the trees. I sat quietly confused for a few minutes, telling myself everything was okay but the feeling of fear and doom persisted and I literally ran out of those woods like I was being chased by a banshee. My brothers teased me, but I never went back into those woods again. As the years passed, my memory of the incident faded until one day, many years later, and in another state, I got that same creepy sensation while I was out in the pasture cutting holly berries to use for Christmas decorations. I was busily clipping away and then for some reason I noticed how quiet it had gotten. I could only hear a loud buzzing in my ears. That was different than the first time it had happened. But the memory of that long ago afternoon in the piney woods of Georgia came to my mind. I was standing there, scared out of my wits. And over what? There was no visible threat against me, yet the fear was real, as real as if it was in the pasture full of devils dancing around me. And something told me to remain calm and to walk, not run out of there. With my heart pounding in my chest, I fast walked to the edge of the pasture, pulling a wagon full of hollyberry cuttings. Once I reached the edge of that pasture, I still had to go through another one to get home, and in that second pasture, I took off running, dragging the wagon along behind me. I didn't stop until i had passed my brother's home, and was near my parents' home. The buzzing noise in my ears went away, and things were normal at the house. No paralyzing fear, plenty of birds singing, and the chirp of crickets was plain as day. I don't know what scared the tar out of me those times. I had been in the wilderness alone many times, and only twice did that fear and doom overtake me. And then another time, something similar happened. But I wasn't as fearful as the first two times. I went for a hike on the petroglyph trail in Mesa Verde, and one-year anniversary of my brother's disappearance. He disappeared while on this trail, or while on the spruce Tree House trail. I noticed as I hiked alone on the rugged trail blazed up by the mountainside that it was awfully quiet, I couldn't hear any noises at all except for the wind in the trees. I noticed the absence of birdsong. I walked past a place on the trail that smelled strongly of cat urine. Very strong cat urine. I knew there were all kind of wild animals in the mountains, wild cats and bears especially. The hair on my neck stood up and I felt fear creeping in as I stood quietly and looked around the trees and the rocks that surrounded me. A wild cat could easily be hiding, stalking me. I hoofed it up that trail, trailing fear behind me. I made it safely out of the mountains, and once was enough for me. I have no desire to go back. I refuse to go into the wilderness alone anymore. The third time is the charm, and I had to stop reading missing 411 books because they got to me. Case after case after case of people who were vanishing mysteriously, my brother being one of them. It just bogged me down after a while. I hope we find answers to the mystery someday, and I'm determined not to become another statistic. There's been an edit, 92320. My brother has been found. He was found at the bottom of a canyon approximately five miles from where he had been last seen. An off-trail hiker discovered the skeletal remains and looked for ID, found a wallet containing a Texas driver's license and a social security card and a credit card, all in my brother's name. The coroner said it appeared that he had sat down beneath a tree and died there. No signs of injury, no broken bones, no head injury. We will never know for sure how he died. His remains were intact. His clothing was still on the bones, even the shoes. He had cigarettes and a lighter with him, as well as his cell phone. At last, we will bring him home to be buried on his property under the big oak tree where he always said he wanted to be buried. The end of his story brings more questions. But those questions will have to settle down while I grieve the death of my beloved brother. What do you think about the whole forest going quiet?
1: Well, I think those are really good signs to listen to when you're in the woods. Because you usually know if everything goes quiet, something is around there that they can see. It could be a predator, some sort of animal. Yeah, but I, even with predators,
0: they don't go quiet. Oh, yes. They, sometimes animals, will like a crow, they'll speak up. They'll Yeah, they okay, kind of, but if there's bird songs, okay, there's mm-hmm. birds in the trees. Yeah, and wow. it just
1: all of a sudden goes quiet. And insects. Crickets. Yeah, that's a, okay. With all that combined, I mean that's very unusual. But I'm like, I'm thinking, if it's me, would be like, pay attention to that. If that ever happens be to you, getting the hell yeah. out of there. I know um, animals pick up on a lot of things that we don't. They're much more sensitive. And I can recall even um, hearing on the news one time that all those uh, seals. They hung out at like Fisherman's Wharf or whatever in San Francisco. Had mm-hmm. all took off and left. Every single one of them. Well, they had been there for years. That was a big tourist attraction to go see them hanging out on the dock. Right. All gone. Disappeared. I said to myself, there's going to be an earthquake. Yeah. And the next day there was an earthquake. I think they left because of the earthquake. It wasn't a very huge one. It wasn't like the one that took down the Bay Bridge or whatever. But I say, listen to those cues, you know, especially if you, I love the woods. I like going for walks. I'm not a big fan. I'm not big into camping whatsoever. It scares the crap out of me. I'd rather walk
0: down a beach than than go into the woods like that. The woods are hard because you can get thrown off, like discombobulated. Mm -hmm. You can end up going in circles. If you're not properly trained, you don't have trail markers, whatever. You've got this canopy of trees above you, so you can't really even see the sky sometimes, at times. Unless you find a clearing, there's danger. You can fall over a fallen tree uh, you can slide down a ravine you can go off a cliff there's so many dangerous aspects to going into the woods
1: yeah I'm not a big fan like I've I've been to Yosemite and it was just a, a day visit and it's beautiful there I mean but it's high altitude I couldn't breathe whatsoever it was so high altitude yeah. that I was gasping for air but there's always signs like beware of bears which they have much bigger bears than we do like I I think if I saw a black bear in the woods, I'd leave, but I wouldn't be as scared if I saw a grizzly bear. (laughs) Or a cougar. Yeah, or that. There's a lot of stories of people in California getting attacked by cougars. But Um, I mean,
0: if you're going to go into the woods now, (laughs) after hearing these 411s and these strange disappearances, I'm packing. Like, I'm packing mace, I'm packing water, I'm packing matches, uh, protein bars. I mean, I'm. I'm packing for survival, even if it's for a small hike. And a
1: weapon, too, like some sort of yeah, knife. pepper spray or bear spray or something yeah. that you can
0: just use if you need it. A lot of these people that go missing are hunters. These are skilled people going mm-hmm. in. They're going in in groups. And then once that group splits off and leaves that one hunter behind, that's the seer, like the one that scouts, you know, yeah, he's gone. And they have handguns and rifles and bows, and they've got camelbacks, hiking boots. In
1: 2014, a medical doctor named James McCrogan went on a split snowboard trip with friends in Vail, Colorado. Not many people have heard of split snowboarding. This is a sport that's a lot like cross-country skiing. So this is another (laughs) skier...
0: Or whatever, you know, like into that sport. No more skiing either. No more hiking (laughs) and no more skiing.
1: (laughs) So they're saying it's a lot like cross-country skiing or hiking in snowshoes. He came prepared with a cell phone and a satellite GPS system. He was much faster than his friends, so he said that he would wait for them at the next stop. They lost sight of him and never saw him at any of the stops along the trail. When the search team went looking for him, they found no tracks in the snow that veered off the trail so they had no idea where he could have possibly gone. Five days later, his body was discovered 4.5 miles away as the crow flies, which was more like a 14-mile hike, as he would have had to climb up mountains in order to get there. Of course. His body was found by two hikers at the bottom of a frozen waterfall. That's crazy.
0: Uh, That's how they find them, too. It's weird. A lot of times they're laying in the water. The search party had
1: gone over that area multiple times before, but had never seen him until that day.
0: That's another phenomena: again, is going over an area over and over again, then finding that's him. That's part of David Polite's things I, I read off there. The points. Yep. yep.
1: McCrogan was mangled in a strange position. Mm-hmm. His skull was crushed as if he had fallen from the sky. He was still wearing the full ski outfit and helmet, but there were no boots on his feet and he had also taken off his gloves. The search and rescue team later found his discarded split snowboard, but they never found his boots. His cell phone and GPS were still working. Again with the shoes. Yeah, but, I mean, his stuff was still working. So it's like he he didn't think he was lost. Why didn't he reach out?
0: You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Again, this is going to come down to either aliens, Bigfoot, Or some sort of guerrilla terrorists that are going through the national forests and doing this to people. And that just seems completely ridiculous to me, and especially in the weather.
1: So they tested the area where he was found, and there was a cell phone signal. So he could have gotten a cell phone signal. Right. Yet he never called anyone for help. The police deemed this
0: an accidental death and closed the case. Of course it's an accidental death. What is the cover-up? They have to know something. It can't just be purely for the numbers. Because people are aware of the statistics of bungee jumping and jumping out of planes, and they still do it. So if the National Forest Service said to you, there have been 161 disappearances this year, be careful. People would still go in and do it. There's got to be something deeper to that.
1: In 1952, a two-year-old boy named Keith Parkins... I thought that was music playing at first. I was like, it's angels. (laughs) Uh, No, just the UFO highway. (laughs) In 1952, a two-year-old boy named Keith Parkins went missing from his home in Ritter, Oregon. Oregon. Pacific Northwest. In the middle of winter. He had been playing outside with his jacket on, but he was far from equipped to spend the night outside alone. His family and a local search party looked for him immediately. They could follow his tiny footprints up to a point before they completely stopped. There were no other animal or adult tracks nearby. Nineteen hours later, they found Keith. He was about 15 miles away. That's, I mean... He's two years old. Yeah. (laughs) He had taken his jacket off and was laying face down in the snow on a frozen pond. There's with the water again. Keith was alive. When they asked him why he had run away and how he survived, he said he didn't remember. And uh, I guess Les Stroud, if anyone knows about him, he's um, was it Survivor Man? I don't know if that. He's I like don't... he has a survival show, okay. and he would spend the night in the woods. Mm-hmm. He's actually had a Bigfoot story himself. He really is an expert outdoorsman. But he, I guess there, he was doing a segment for the Missing Four Hundred and Eleven documentary, and I think I just watched that like when it came out it was on Netflix or something. He was talking about him, Keith, and he said how it's impossible. For a toddler to get that far of a distance. When you, when they show yeah. you
0: in the documentary. The conditions that the child or adult has to go through to get to that location. The shards of rock when they're barefoot getting up there. Yeah. The pitch and elevation that they have to climb can hardly be done with boots on. Mm-hmm. The climate. None of it makes sense. And then the placement of things. In one of the documentaries of David Pallades, he talks about one of the young kids that goes missing, had to have been three years old, I think. And he was on a hike in the woods with his parents and he got separated. I don't know how you're not keeping track of your three-year-old, but okay. Came upon a couple guys, I don't know if they were fishing, and the kid said, are there barriers in this woods? And the fishermen talked to them and didn't even, again, didn't think, this is weird, this little three-year-old is by himself, but okay, he he wanders off. Cut to his clothes, uh, his shoes were in perfect condition, not even weathered after a couple years that had been there. There was no signs of weathering on the sneakers.
1: They should be covered in leaves or something. Yeah, and
0: the last location of where they they had found, I don't know if they found the body, I can't remember, but there was a Rubik's Cube Hmm. that was weathered. There was no um, colors on the cube, but what was a Rubik's Cube doing up in this forest area? in this incline and in this pitch it was just so strange and when Pilates tried to hike up that
1: yeah the aliens gave him something to play with yeah they did <laughs> here you go kid
0: <laughs> it's a rubik's cube it's too much man it's too much that's more fearful to me than i don't know what do you think scarier being pulled away by aliens and possibly either being killed or released with no memory or a bear attack
1: i don't know You're they're doing... both very scary <laughs> i i would say if they've Erase my memory when I came back. I'd be fine with that.
0: <laughs> if you come back. If, you if come you're back. not dropped into a stream, naked, dead. Yeah. And who knows what was their last images. I mean, they're hiking around picking berries and mushrooms in the wilderness. And all of a sudden they're naked and rotting face down in a stream. But they didn't die from drowning. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't die from hypothermia because it was and the it, middle of July.
1: Not eaten. It's not like, you know... If it was an animal, they'd be
0: eaten a bit, you know? You would think that's another weird thing, too. And sometimes they recover the bones and they'll recover like a skull under a tree and then it'll be in pristine bleached condition. And then they'll find scattered remnants of the rest of their body, but they don't find the feet. What is up with the feet?
1: Aliens have a foot fetish.
0: They do, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) It was Father's Day weekend, 1969
1: six-year-old Dennis Martin was at Smoky Mountains National Park with his brother, father, and grandfather. They camped out for the night, and the next day a man approached Mr. Martin asking if his sons wanted to play with his kids, since they were about the same age. Dennis's father agreed, and the children started a big game of hide-and-seek. Dennis's father kept his eyes on his son from a distance. Dennis hid behind a tree, and when the other kids jumped to reveal themselves, Dennis didn't, his father got up and ran over to where he had last seen his son, and he was gone. The Appalachian Trail was nearby, so he ran at full speed for two miles, yelling and calling for Dennis. But he couldn't find his son. They called park rangers and spent all night looking for him. The search for Dennis Martin became massive. The FBI, Green Berets, park rangers, and local volunteers searched for six weeks. Wow. The only thing they found belonging to Dennis was one shoe and one sock. They never found a body. Politis conducted interviews and dug through files with testimonies. The Key family had been camping in the park that same weekend, and they asked park rangers where they could go to see bears. They were told where to go, and when they arrived, they reported hearing a scream. The child pointed at the top of the hill, saying that he saw a bear. The father said it looked more like a scary-looking, wild, hairy mountain man. (laughs) Dodging behind trees while carrying something over his shoulder. So that's the end of that story and sounds like... Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Bigfoot aliens. And you could only reach those... I mean, if you're a Bigfoot, you got big strides. You can reach those distances. You could run fast.
0: And if Bigfoot's interdimensional, he could warp out and then... Maybe the clothes fall off when he goes through the dimension.
1: Maybe the aliens drop him off like cratefuls and cratefuls of Bigfoots in the
0: Maybe there's just (laughs) one super Bigfoot and he goes around and does it all. Most of the missing 411 and that strange disappearance stories, they're very similar in nature. There's a lot of patterns. Let's round out the show with the Diet
1: Love Pass incident.
0: Now, this is in Russia. Mm-hmm. They
1: actually found everybody that was missing. Oh, they did? They were found, but far away, somewhere buried under the snow. Now, just recently, They finally came out with an official answer to all of this, and they think it was some sort of avalanche. Okay. But the strange things that happened, they're very reminiscent of what we're just talking about. Okay. But it's even more mysterious because they can all tell that they fled very, very suddenly, and they left without their clothes. So it shows that something scared the crap out of them, and they had to
0: get the hell out. And when they Meaning f- their clothes on their body or clothes that they had with them camping? They
1: were probably in bed. It was super, super freezing, like probably twenty below zero. They were
0: intense, right?
1: Yes, and they were intense. And I'm thinking a tent back in it was early 1930s. I think it was 19. Oh, I'm sorry, it was in 1959. They were born in like the 1930s, but I'll read from this just a bit and see if we can get more details here. The Diet to Love Pass incident was an event. In which nine Russian hikers died in the northern Ural Mountains between 1st and 2nd February in 1959 in uncertain circumstances. The experienced trekking group, who were all from the Ural Polytechnical Institute, had established a camp on the slopes of Kolot (laughs) Cycle. Sorry, this is Russian. I can't read it. (laughs) That's okay. In an area now named in honor of the group's leader, Igor Dyatlov. During the night, something caused them to cut their way out of their tent. So I know tents back then were different. It's not like the ones we have now with the zipper and all that. It's probably one that is more heavy-duty. Canvas. Yeah, probably canvas. down And they had to get out of there. I know. So maybe uh, the door, their little exits or whatever, maybe it was just too difficult to do that to open the exit. I don't know because uh-huh. I've never seen anything like that. So during the night, something caused them to cut their way out of their tent and flee the campsite while inadequately dressed for the heavy snowfall and sub-zero temperatures.
0: Okay, but that's weird right within itself, right? Because if it's cold, and they're in these probably canvas tents, why aren't they in clothing?
1: I know, because it's got to be so cold. You'd have to (laughs) even...
0: You'd have hat, gloves, all your winter gear on, Mm -hmm. and then your sleeping bag, probably.
1: So an investigation by Soviet authorities determined the six had died from hypothermia, which is logical. You know, they're you know, out and exposed themselves to those elements without clothes on. There was others that died by physical trauma. And one victim had major skull damage. Two had severe chest trauma. And another had a small crack in the skull. Four of the bodies were found lying in running water. <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> the running water theory, yeah. right? In a creek. And three of those had soft tissue damage of the head and face. Two of the bodies were missing their eyes. One was missing its tongue, And one was missing its eyebrows. Okay.
0: Okay. An avalanche is going to pop your eyeballs out. That's a lot of
1: pressure. Yeah.
0: I could see how maybe, you know, you could have chest cave in, but tongue missing? Yeah. No.
1: And your eyebrows. And they think all that stuff happened post-mortem that happened after they died, too. It's really weird. And the investigation concluded that a compelling natural force had caused the deaths. Numerous theories have been put forward to account for the unexplained deaths, including animal attacks, hypothermia, avalanche, catabolic winds, infrasound-induced panic, military involvement, or some combination of these. Now, the other thing that I read later on, they also found that they were slightly um, radioactive. Okay. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Which makes you think, okay, how would they get aliens Um, (laughs) do aliens leave radioactive like
0: well look at travis walton i mean he touched i don't know if that was radiation obviously probably not but there's an energy that comes off that and he touched the ship it blew him back they pulled him according to him pulled him on the ship to save his life because he was going into like cardiac arrest so maybe whatever they're using the energy i don't it's a theory we have no idea we don't nobody has any ideas
1: but to call it just an avalanche when their tent was slightly buried in snow. Now, it, it kind of, I mean, could be an avalanche of the tent is partly buried, but they had a fire going. The fire didn't go out. There was still a
0: fire going. So they just wake up, panicked, freaking out, no clothes on, mm-hmm. cut their way out of the tent, start running. Yeah. And they're finding them all over the damn place. Yeah. But the tent wasn't even under. So w- what we need to look up what infrasound. What was it? Infra and something. Infrasound. Infrasound induced panic okay so infrasound may cause feelings of awe or fear in humans it has also been suggested that since it's not consciously perceived it may make people feel vaguely that odd or supernatural events are taking place so it sounds like more of an intuitive feeling that people get in a panic intuitive i don't know that's just really weird like okay i can see how an animal might have that with an earthquake like we spoke about earlier Mm -hmm. Humans don't usually; they're not that into, especially not a big group of them. There's going to be a few that.
1: And I don't know if a avalanche has a noise. I mean, does it have a noise? Maybe there's a
0: rumble. You know, know? maybe that. Maybe what causes the avalanche? Maybe there's some sort of seismic activity. Uh, But look, if they're sleeping, like was
1: that the best way? Was to run, an avalanche? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Well, the
0: tent didn't even get buried. They could have stayed in the tent. Yeah. And the fire didn't go out. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. odd. It's
1: very, very weird. It said that uh, it took more than two months to find all of them, but at that point they were under, like thirteen. Some of them were under thirteen feet of snow.
0: That's a lot of snow. Yeah,
1: three of the four were better dressed than the others, and there were signs that some clothing of those who had died first had been removed for use by the others, which doesn't make any sense either. No, if, does not make any sense. No,
0: because if they were hypothermic, they would have been hot. They would have been feeling hot and stripping their clothes off, now yeah. trying to take clothes from other people to stay warm. Theories are all backwards. They're all kind of crazy.
1: If one of them had survived, they could have maybe explained everything. Yeah,
0: just one. Yeah. Just one of how many were in the group? I think there was right. nine. And there was a woman in there, too. Well, friends, that's about it. That wraps up our strange disappearance episode. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can shoot us an email at to the spiritpod at gmail.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast or Stitcher. I'd like to do a shout out to William Haney leaving us a message saying he absolutely loved the topic of reincarnation and he loves our podcast too. Thank you, William. Thank you. Thanks for being a listener. Uh, Sinking Out Loud said, thanks for posting this conversation. This, again, is in regards to our reincarnation episode. Little known is Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, taught multiple mortal probations reincarnation. The church split when Brigham Young went west. The members who followed Emma Smith and the family, RLDS, maintained the belief. I was raised RLDS Mormon, and I absolutely believe. Wow, so we have a Mormon believer in reincarnation.
1: Yeah, I had no idea about that.
0: Thank you for that, Sinking Out Loud. Thank you, listeners. I'm back. And this is Steph.
1: And uh, if you have plans to go to a national forest, I think... Uh Coming up with your last will and testament might be a good idea. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.
0: To the spirit. Podcast. Wow. Supernatural. Science. Anna Anna Halea. Halea. I'm ghost. Thank you.
1: you
0: Mystic. Spirit. Divine source. Heaven. and day.
1: It's magic.